Well, as Pastor Ben said, we are doing things differently than we normally do on a Sunday morning at True North. And uh, one of the other things we're doing different is we're going to dig into God's Word right now. A lot of times it's uh, usually about 22, maybe 10.30-ish, 10.40, and we start the sermon. We are going to dig into God's Word first and then worship afterwards. And so when I get done preaching, do me a favor, don't pack up and start going, okay? That's when we're really going to start worshiping here. And, and before we uh, dig into God's Word, uh, it is good to have those of you that are visiting with us here. We're glad you're here. And, and uh, by the way, those visitors, some new visitors too, um, some babies. We got a couple of new babies in the house. There's one, there's one. Did Jasper, where's Jasper make it? No, probably not. Where's, okay, all three babies are here, so... Wow. So all of you uh, moms and grandmas that just love looking at the babies, make sure you get around and say hi. Congratulations to all these parents. Uh, it's a wonderful thing, a wonderful thing. Grab your Bibles, would you please? If you don't have a Bible, uh, I want you to raise your hand. We will grab one for you if you need one. We're going to turn. We need one right up here, Ben. Uh, Genesis and one back there. Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. While you're turning there, we are wrapping up the series today on All In. You've probably seen the t-shirts hanging here on the staff, and we've been wearing them around uh, on Sunday mornings. I don't know if Landon's been wearing his all week. Only the laundry person could tell us that. Okay. But we're wrapping it up today. Uh, and let me do a review with you. I've been doing this, I was at a camp this week, and uh, so Daisy's probably sitting over there going, Again? I thought I heard this review over and over, okay? So she's going to be on top. She'll be the loudest, okay? So let me hear you say, God's all in. The world is all in. You're not all participating. We're going to start all over from the beginning, okay? Something about our churches I like to have you repeat. That's because Bob tends to nod off, and so I want to keep you alert and awake, okay? Just checking to see. I, I gave him the fist. That wasn't... Yeah, see, that's what I'm talking about right there, okay? So let's try this again. God's all in, world's all in, Jesus is all in. That's what we've been going so far. We've had God is all in, and we talked about the love of God. Incredible love that God has. He created us with incredible value. He created us with purpose. He created us to have this all-consuming love for us. And then we know the world is all in, too. The world wants to take you out. When I mean take you out, I don't mean on a date. I mean the world wants to eliminate you. John 10, 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to give life and give it abundantly. So we know this, that Jesus is all in. God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, for us. Incredible and ultimate sacrifice. So we know God's all in. We know the world's all in. But the good news is Jesus is all in. And today as we wrap this up, the question is, am I all in? That's the question I want you to ask yourself right now. Am I all in on this Christian stuff? On this living for Jesus Christ? On loving God and loving others? Am I all in? I hope by the end of this message and by the end of this worship service that you're not only be able to say, am I, but we're going to switch that around and say, I am all in. I am all in. But I can't make that decision for you. That's God's Spirit working through you. That's, that's the conviction that needs to come upon your heart and you need to answer. 
But my hopes and prayers as a pastor is to say, you're all in. And you're choosing to live for him in a way you've never lived before. I want you to think about this. Could you imagine going through a drive-thru, ordering up a meal, and you open up the bag after you get in, you look in, and, and there's half a bag of fries, half a package of fries, and you ordered a large, but there's only half, half a, a portion in there. And then you open up your cheeseburger, and, and there's no buns. It's just a slab of meat and a piece of cheese on there. Some of you are gluten-free, and you're okay with that. Okay, I got you. But something's missing. It's like it's partial. That's not right. I'll never forget a few years ago uh, at a restaurant, and we're sitting there, and they, were, they just introduced this new sandwich called the Baconator. Okay? And I mean, it's a big cheeseburger loaded with bacon. And I'll never forget the guy coming up behind me. He'd gotten his food, sat down, and he came back, and he walked up, and, and he said, excuse me, oh, yeah, go ahead. And he comes and goes, um, ma'am, can I get some bacon for my Baconator? It's like, that's probably a good idea. He ordered the bacon. It should have been loaded with bacon. There's no bacon on it. He was really disappointed. Did you ever read half a book or three quarters of a book, maybe get to the end and the last chapter is missing? Disappointing, isn't it? How about this? Maybe it was Valentine's special time. You spent hours making something special for somebody. You sacrificed time. You sacrificed money for supplies. And then you took all that time, put it together, and then you gave it to that special person. They looked at it and they thought, oh, this is really nice. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And then they walked away. Well, they, they thought it was nice, but you expected more. You expected maybe that they would give you a hug or maybe they would in some way reciprocate that love back to you and show appreciation more than just, oh, that's nice. Thank you. And walk away. It's like, I, I, I gave them a lot of me or all of me in this and got nothing in return really, just sort of a head nod. You ever been there? Ever, ever had any of those moments? I want you to picture this. Maybe God feels that way with us sometimes where he gave all of himself and his son Jesus Christ and gives him to us and he sacrificed so much and we sort of give that head nod like, oh yeah, thanks God. Thanks for your son and for church. It's all good. Thank you. We sort of walk away. He's sitting there saying, wait a minute, I'm all in. My son is all in. Aren't you going to be all in? God is all in. He's not half-hearted about you. Even though you may face half-hearted moments and people in your life, maybe you've got situations that were never completed, God's complete and all in with you. Never forget that truth. Never forget that truth. Matter of fact, we're going to look at a gentleman who is all in. Genesis chapter 6. Look there with me, please. First book of the Bible. Story of Noah. Genesis 6, chapter 1. While the human population began to grow rapidly on the earth, the sons of God saw the beautiful women of the human race, took the one of their wives, and the Lord said, My spirit will not put up with you for such a long time, for they're only mortal flesh. In the future they'll live no more than 120 years. Skip down to verse 5. Now the Lord observed the extent of the people's wickedness. He saw that every thought was consistently and totally evil. The Lord was sorry he ever made them, and it broke his heart. The Lord said, I will completely wipe out this human race that I've created. Yes, I'll destroy all the animals and birds too. I'm sorry I ever made them. But Noah found favor with God. See, here's God. He's like, man, I love this creation. I love this creation. And then they completely turned on him. Every thought, every action was evil. It broke God's heart. 
It made him sad that he, complete, that he had made them. And, but he looked and he said, but I find favor with one man in his family, Noah. Look what happens, verse 9. This is the history of Noah and his family. Listen to what kind of man Noah was. He was a righteous man. He was right with God. He was the only blameless man living on the earth at the time. He consistently followed God's will and he enjoyed a close relationship with him. It says in some translations, he walked with God. That's a close relationship with him. And so the earth is filled with violence. It hurts God just to look at that. And he says, I've got a plan here. And it involves this one righteous man who is all in for me. So I'm going to take this man who's all in and we're going to do something incredible. And look what he tells him to do. Look at verse 14. Make a boat from resinous wood, seal with tar, inside and out. Construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make it 450 feet long, 70 feet wide, 45 feet high. Construct an opening all the way around the boat, 18 inches below the roof. Then put three decks inside the boat, bottom, middle, upper. Put a door on the inside. Look, I'm able to, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing. Everything on earth will die. But I solemnly swear to keep you safe in this boat with your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, male and female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of each kind, bird and, and animal, large, small alike, they will come to you to be kept alive. And remember, take enough food for your family and all the animals. Look at verse 22. This is the key verse I want you to hear and read. So Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. That's just incredible. See, Noah's all in. I don't remember reading here. And I'm sure, you know, I believe that I never did watch the movie that came out. It got too many uh, bad reviews. Um, but I'm sure uh, Hollywood's taken the liberty to take this and sort of make it up and sort of run with it and make Noah like he doubted God and all these kind of things. But when you read Scripture here, I see no doubt. All I see is this. So Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. Now, did he have some doubts during that time? I'm going to say yes because he's human. Because what did Noah start with? Everybody do this. Put one finger out here. This is what Noah started with. One piece of wood. Can you imagine that? 450 by 75 by 45. Three decks. I'm going to house all these animals. Where do I start? One piece of wood. Do you think when he picked up that one piece of wood, he's like, okay, here we go. Sham, ham, Japheth. Going to need more than this. And some tools. Because this is going to be bigger than a football field and a half. Back in the 1920s, the uh, Barnum's Bailey Circus, they would load up their animals as they traveled from city to city to the circus. And as they loaded up the, their um, the railroad cars that they traveled by. This is what they had in their circus, 1920. 335 horses, 26 elephants, 16 camels. They all fit 92 boxcars that traveled from town to town. Now, the size of the ark would hold more than 92 boxcars. Matter of fact, uh, they say it would have held over 522 boxcars. So take that big circus that traveled in 1920, multiply that by 5.2, we'll say, okay? That's huge. 
It's all going to fit inside this ark along with all the food. So again, you look at the task ahead of you and you say, how? You ever done that with your own life? God, how do you want me to do this? Students, kids, you ever question how am I going to stand up or do the right thing in school? The task looks too big. Maybe some of you in your workplaces, you know your integrity is going to be pushed because your boss is telling you to do something that you know is illegal or wrong, and yet you're saying, as a Christian, I've got to stand up, but if I stand up, I might get fired because the boss is telling me to do something. Ever been there? The task looks big, doesn't it? Where did Noah start? One piece of wood. I'll be obedient with this piece. And then I'll be obedient with the next piece and the next piece. Why is that? Because Noah was all in. Noah was all in. He was not half-hearted about this. Now, with the example of Noah, let me tell you my opinion here, how Noah did this. How was Noah all in? Because it comes back to our first sermon. Because God was all in. See, without God, you can't be all in. Without his son, Jesus Christ, you can't be all in. We can try to work, work, work all we want, but works don't get us into heaven. Works are just nice things. We know James says that faith and works go together. That's what James said. God's all in for us. 2 Peter 3, 9. We're going to throw a bunch of scriptures up on the screen. I'm not going to read them all to you, but I'm going to refer to them. 2 Peter 3, 9. You ever wonder like, well, I think God wants to send people to hell or I think why would God ever send people to hell? You ever, I don't know if you ever heard people ask that question before. I've heard a lot of people say, well, I don't believe in God because he's sort of a mean God. He sends people to hell. Second Peter 3, 9. Just check that out sometime. It talks about for God does not want anyone to perish. He doesn't want people to go to hell. John three sixteen also helps back that one because God so loved the world, right, that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And then you can go on to John 14, 6. Okay, so God doesn't want to destroy the world. He wants to save the world because he loves the world. So he sends Jesus Christ in John 14, 6. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. Jesus says, that's right, God sent me. You can't get to God unless you come through me. Because I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Romans 10, 9 says that if we confess our sins and we believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. We find salvation no other way except through Jesus Christ. And then John chapter 14. Let me read this to you. John chapter 14, starting in verse 15 to 21, says this. If you love me, obey my commandments. I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads in all truth. The world at large cannot receive him because they aren't looking for him. And they don't recognize him, but you do. Listen to this. Because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Ooh, sounds a little weird, doesn't it? God's spirit living in you, but Jesus is saying this. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I'll come to you. And in just a little while, the world will not see me again, but you will. For I will live again, and you will too. 
When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And those who obey my commands are the ones who love me. And because they love me, the Father will love them, and I will love them, and I will reveal myself to each one of them. Jesus says, you know, pretty soon I'm going to exit off of this earth because I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be buried, but I'm going to resurrect, I'm going to be alive again. And even though I'm leaving, my spirit is coming. Oh, we're together right now, but soon I'll be in you. My spirit, the Holy Spirit, will be in you. Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will come. And then fast forward a few years, and the Apostle Paul's talking. He says, it's not me who lives. It's Christ who lives in me. You see, this is how I'm all in. I understand the truth that God is a righteous and holy and loving God, okay? And I understand that on my own, I'm a mess. But he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save me and clean up my mess. And when I place my faith in Jesus Christ, I'm forgiven. And when I'm forgiven, not only does he forgive me, but he gives me his spirit to help me live a righteous life so I can live in a way that honors him. The only way I can be all in is until I first surrender to him and ask him to be a part of my life. Now, I wish there was a, a, a really great picture to explain this to you, besides what I just said. But I don't know if I can give you a good picture or illustration. So I'm praying that God's Spirit speaks to you and makes that click. But in case you're struggling with it, and you like movies, let me throw a movie your way. Okay? I don't know if you remember that classic Space Jam. Okay? For those of you that like that old... Michael Jordan Looney Tunes movie. I'll remind you. I think we've talked about this before, but let me remind you this movie, okay? Basically, Michael Jordan retires from basketball. He's going to go play baseball. Not really working out for him. That's how the movie begins. Meanwhile, on this far-off distant planet, okay, um, there are these group of aliens called Nerdlocks, okay? Now, the Nerdlocks are a group of criminal aliens and they have a boss named Mr. Swackhammer. Some of you are like, oh yeah, I remember him, right? Not at all, good, okay. So his plan is to capture the Looney Tunes, to send these aliens to Earth to capture the Looney Tunes, to take them back to help him with his amusement park that is failing on Mount Moron, okay? Isn't that awesome? Great movie, okay. So anyway, the aliens come. They, uh, they go to challenge the Looney Tunes and they're these little, obviously, nerdy-type aliens and the Looney Tunes, starring Bugs Bunny, tricks them into saying, well, I'll tell you what, you can take us back to your planet if you beat us in a game of basketball. So what do the Looney Tunes do? They kidnap Michael Jordan from reality into their cartoon world, okay? Follow with me, okay? So now they have Michael Jordan on the Looney Tunes. So Daffy Duck, Porky Pig, and uh, yeah, Porky Pig, and... Um, Bugs Bunny and all these guys. They're in Michael Jordan. Now they're going to take on the Nerdlocks. Now the Nerdlocks, they're sitting there going, oh, we're in trouble now. They got Michael Jordan. So they get this magical basketball, and they go around to NBA stadiums. They go to Charles Barkley and Patrick Ewan and Sean Bradley and Muggsy Bogues and Larry Johnson, and they take these five NBA players, and they, they take the basketball, and they sort of sit it there, and we're going to pretend I'm going to hand you the ball. Ready? Boom, give me the ball. Take it, take it. Just pretend there's a ball there. You can do it again. Ah, good, thank you. Good job. Okay. So as soon as you touch the ball, all of a sudden, I take that ball back from him. I've just absorbed your NBA powers. 
So these nerds were going around stealing the powers, the skills of these basketball players into one ball. Then they took the ball, and the nerdlucks all put their hand on the ball, and they absorbed the power into them, and they became these big alien monsters. Okay. You follow me on this? Isn't church awesome? Okay. Just watch the movie. It makes sense. My whole point in that is this. They took the powers from these NBA players and put them within themselves to defeat the other team. They absorbed that power and put it in it. Could you imagine this, modern day, if I hung out with Kevin Durant or LeBron James, okay? And I said, LeBron James, let me touch the basketball you just touched, and I, and I touched this magical ball, and all of a sudden I absorbed his powers, and LeBron James goes inside me. Now, if, you've ever, if I held up a poster now of LeBron James, he'd be a lot taller than me, you know, about 9, 10, 11 inches taller than me, okay? Wide shoulders, long arms, deeper voice, okay? And he would just posterize me quick on a game of one-on-one -on -one basketball, meaning I would stand here, he would be dunking over me, because he has such credible power. Now, can you imagine if I took that and put it in me? Oh, I'll take anybody on right now in basketball, okay? Even Zach. Got you, Zach. One-on-one, -on -one, okay? I could actually beat him. He's too quick for me, okay? But if I had that power in me, I'd be so different. I'd be victorious. Are you following me this? Everybody say yes. Some of you weren't, but thank you for lying. Okay, we'll deal with, we'll deal with that later. Okay. So here's what Paul's saying. Let's go back to the Bible now. Paul's saying it's, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. It's like he's now absorbed God's spirit. That's okay. And you're sitting there saying, so the theology of Space Jam is way off. I understand. But you get the picture that God's spirit now is in me. And now I can live victoriously. When we place our faith in the one and only true God, when we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, we are saved. We no longer have to live by our flesh as we always did. We now live with God's Spirit in us. We don't have these huge athletic powers, and we don't live by the scoreboard anymore, but we have something better to help us through times when we are anxious, when we're fearful, when we're doubting, when we're hurting, when we don't know how to love, when we want to make the right decision. How do I know that? Because Paul later says in Galatians chapter 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is, help me out, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there are no things. Okay? Those who belong to Christ, Jesus has nailed the passions and desires of the old sinful nature to the cross. He's crucified them there. So we are living by the Spirit. So let's follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let's not be conceited. Let's not provoke one another to anger. Let's not be jealous of one another. Paul says that spirit in you now produces something incredible. Now, I want to share something with you, okay, speaking of fruit, because I thought this was really cool. I've talked about this before, maybe, but I don't know if we ever showed you. When you get a banana, because I think this is really awesome, okay? I'm not going to eat the whole thing. I just want to take a bite. But we were at a camp one time. This was many years ago. And um, we had a panel like the band and myself up in front. And um, 
one of the kids said, how do you know God's real? How do you know God's real? And the drummer's like, banana. And we're like, musicians. No, I'm just kidding. Explain, please, because we're not following. He goes, he goes, it's so cool because God gave us something to eat that has a disposable wrapper. You can throw it anywhere. And it's biodegradable. It'll take care of itself. Then the inside, it's so good. And, and then he goes, here's the other thing. He goes, when you take your finger and you split the banana, okay? And let's see if I can get this one to split. Come on. There we go. When you split the banana and you put your finger right down the middle, it splits into three. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he goes, that reminds me of God. And I looked at him and I said, Musicians are pretty smart after all. Okay. But I love what he did with that illustration because here's the deal with that fruit. Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit, what's produced in me, I can't do that on my own. The only one that helps me produce fruit in my life, righteous acts, is God the Father who's all in. And God, whose Son, who sacrificed me, for, sacrificed for me, and God's Holy Spirit, who lives in me. We call that the Trinity. Yeah. But that picture helps me understand that He's all in. God's all in in His love. Jesus is all in the sacrifice, and His Holy Spirit is all in me. That's how I can be all in, because they are all in. I'll turn to John chapter 15 real quick. John chapter 15. I've referenced uh, this in John 14. We're going to go to John 15. As you turn into John chapter 15, let's get the setting here. Jesus has been in the upper room with his disciples. They've, uh, they've had the Last Supper together. They've washed each other's feet. They've spent time in prayer and talking. And Jesus says, it's time for us to head out to the Garden of Gethsemane. So in John chapter 14, uh, the very last verse, 31, he says this, Come, let's be going. So they get going, and as they're going, there's now discussion about, is this next chapter 15 a discussion they had on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, or was it right outside the upper room? But he said, let's get going, so they're going. So a lot of theologians believe that they started their walk, and as they walked, they possibly walked through some vineyards. Maybe they walked past the temple that had decoration of vines because that would have been something they would have seen around there. But as whatever it is, wherever they were at that moment in time on their way to the garden, these vines were visible. And Jesus says this, chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more. You've already been pruned for greater fruitfulness by the message I've given you. Remain in me, I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful apart from me. This we know about Old Testament, and that is throughout the Old Testament, Israel is described and portrayed as God's choice people 
but they're also portrayed sometimes as a vine or a vineyard. And as you read those Old Testament scriptures in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Psalms, we learn that the vine was well known as a symbol of Israel, but it was sometimes that nation was not fruitful. Sometimes it was dying. And Jesus talked about that and sort of referring back to Old Testament, but then he says this. He goes, I'm the true vine. My Father, God, is the gardener. Now listen to this. Think about this. Think about how grapes grow. If you don't know, head up to Michigan sometime. Go around Lawton, Paw Paw, those areas. And you'll see that vines are put up on posts. They're raised up off the ground. Squash, pumpkins, all on the ground, right? Grapes need to be lifted up. If you do not lift them up, they don't get the sun they need to grow. So they have to be lifted up. When you read this verse, chapter 15, verse 2, it says he cuts off every branch that doesn't produce fruit. He prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more. When he starts talking about not producing fruit and pruning, the first word that he used there, an arrow, is a Greek word which means to lift up. A lot of times you'll see translation says it cuts off. Before it's the cutting, it was a lifting. You have to lift the vine up to get sun to grow and mature. After you've lifted it up and given it time to mature, then you look for the dead vines and leaves and you cut them off. So as God is pruning, this is what he's saying, this is what Jesus is saying, is that God's going to lift you up and get you out of the dirt first. Once you are lifted up and out of the dirt, then he's going to look for areas in your life that need some cutting away. Bad habits. Priorities need to be reordered. Values need to be changed. Whatever it is, he's pruning. He's clean. That word means to clean and purify. So he wants to lift us up. He wants to purify us. And notice that order, that God draws us to him first and lifts us up so that we can be productive. Then he cuts away the harmful things, the things that are unproductive in our life. It says, got to get rid of that. Got to get rid of that. That's part of the maturing process. That's part of the I'm all in. When I'm all in, I'm understanding what, every, what God's done for me, what Jesus has done for me, what the Holy Spirit's doing in me. Now I'm surrendering, and you know what? I've got to allow him to prune my life, to draw me near to him, and start helping me get rid of those things that are keeping me from him. As a child, especially the girls in here, do you remember the last time you played with dolls? Ladies, when was the last, do you remember the last doll you ever played with? Okay. Think about it. What doll was it? Did you have a favorite doll, favorite stuffed animal? Guys, we didn't play with dolls. We had action figures, right, okay? But girls, I want you to think about this, okay? You played with dolls, but eventually you grew up, right? And you set down the dolls. You no longer played with them. There was a maturing process that takes place. A lot of times we play with a lot of things in our lives when we're young in our faith, and we realize as you mature, it's time to set some of those things down because those things should no longer be appealing to you. You're in a new stage of life as you are growing closer to Jesus Christ. Look at verses 4 and 5. Let the worship team, would you please come up? Verses 4 and 5. Remain in me and I will remain in you. 
For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful apart from me. Let me hear you say, remain in me. As you read through chapter 15, you're going to hear those words a lot from Jesus Christ. Remain in me. I'll remain in you. And he makes so much sense. A, a branch can't produce fruit if it's severed away from the vine, right? Apart from Christ, we are nothing. We're commanded, not suggested, not, hey, here's a good thought. This is a command to abide, to come together. Alone we can do nothing, but with Christ, all things are possible. And it takes time. Again, another thing about grapes I was reading is that sometimes it could take up to three years before its first harvest because there's some pruning and cutting away and then you got to wait for it to grow and then prune, cut it away, got to wait for it to grow. Prune and cut it away, got to wait for it to grow. And after a few seasons, finally you see fruit. Do you ever feel that way in your life? I'm trying to be obedient for God. I'm trying to do the right thing, but I'm not seeing anything. I'm trying to do my best to do what God's asked me to do, but I'm not seeing anything. I just sort of feel like he keeps pruning away my life, pruning away my life. When, God, am I going to feel a little bit more mature in my faith? And God says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Remain in me. Remain in me. You will see growth. You will see growth. It may not be now, but you are growing even though you can't see it. Good things are still taking place. Maturing is still happening even though you can't see it. Let me back up. Repeat after me. God's all in. The world's all in. Jesus is all in. Now we stop here and I'm going to ask you that question. Are you all in? For the one who has died for you and sacrificed for you, for the one who says, remain in me. I want you all in. I want you fully committed. I, I don't want half your heart. I want all of your heart. And here's how you can do it. You remain in me. You abide in me. And I'll give you my spirit. My spirit will remain in you. But you've got to remain with me too. Would you please stand? I, uh, I can't answer that last question for you. That's between you and God's Spirit. But I pray it is. Now, I was thinking about this a few weeks ago as I was going through this series. I, as I looked over it, and maybe you're sitting there saying, okay, so this all-in thing about God and the world and Jesus and, and me and my faith, Here's something really simple. It's, it's one of those tracks. Remember last year, Mark Cahill came. He had books and tracks, how to share your faith. These are on the back table. And this is called More Than Winning. It's your game plan for life. But if you open it up, it talks about God's plan. God's all in. And you turn the page, it talks about man's problem, which is sin. World's all in. You go to the next page, it talks about God's substitute. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus is all in. And then there's our response. I'm all in. There's a little replay of that on the next page and a prayer of surrender. And then some daily exercises to help you grow in your faith as well as to know your position because a lot of times we forget who we are in Christ. It's all on this little track. Feel free to grab one for yourself to remind yourself of this series sermon. Then take that and go share it with somebody else. The best news is not to be kept to ourselves. The best news is to be shared with others. 
we've got good news. We've got good news. We know God's all in. We know Jesus is all in. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm all in. And I hope and pray you are too. I hope and pray that you're all in too. First of all, you're all in with your relationship with Jesus Christ. Second of all, maybe you're all in with a commitment to, to remain closer to Christ by prayer, devotion. Maybe you're going to get in that small group. You're going to hold, hold somebody else accountable. Maybe you're all in with making a recommitment that you need to make this morning. I hope and pray you're all in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for the mighty God that you are, that you love us so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And you didn't stop there. You sent us your Holy Spirit to live within us, to empower us to do righteous things, to be obedient as Noah was obedient. What a long process, 100 years of building a boat. Some of us can't even go an hour without wondering if we should keep going. And he went 100 years being faithful. So God, I just pray right now when I think about all that, I know I'm not perfect. I know I make mistakes. It seems like every day I'm coming back to you saying, God, I want to be all in, but I blew it yesterday. Or God, I want to be all in, but I, I'm so thankful that you are God who forgives. And you say, let me lift you up. Just remain in me. I'll produce fruit in you. Love, joy, peace. Those are great, great pieces of fruit, Lord, that I love to live daily with. God, I pray right now, if there's somebody in this room that doesn't know you, that they'll surrender to you, first of all. And God, if there's somebody in this room that uh, they, they have surrendered to you, and Lord, I know there's a bunch of Christians in here. We call ourselves Christians. We're followers of you. We've confessed with our mouth. We believe in our heart that you're Lord, but maybe we need to recommit a different area of our life to you that we've not given up. We've held on to. We've not surrendered that. God, I pray that uh, if there's maybe somebody in here that's like, man, I'm doing great, but you know, I want to, every day, I want, I, want to, I want to grow stronger. I want to mature. I want to grow. Lord, I pray that right now they'll surrender that to you as well. And just ask you to help them. God, thank you again for this morning. Thank you for this time where we'll be able to dig in your word. Now, Lord, we just want to sing to you. And as we sing, we can keep praying. As we sing, we can make a declaration. But as we sing, let it be a reflection of what's going on in our heart. We have much to be thankful for, much to sing about. We love you, God. In my precious name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.